are dismissed to your classes. And take your Bibles as you remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And open them, if you would please, to the book of 1 John. 1 John, chapter number 3. And I guess the question that we can kind of start things off with this morning is simply this. Does God expect us to be perfect? Now, this is a question that I know I have struggled with through the years, and, and I've looked at it, and at times, as you read the Word of God, you see where God seems to expect perfection, but then there are other times when you see that the Word of God uh, does not necessarily expect perfection, and it almost looks like um, He excuses the idea of being perfect, and I can see, honestly, see both sides of the argument as I get into Scripture. Let's take a look this morning in 1 John chapter number 3. And for context sake, we're going to start reading in verse number 1. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Now to our text for this morning, starting in verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, but whoso sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that it, he might destroy the works of the devil. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, again, at, at times, I, you know, it's easy to see both sides of the argument between law and and grace, the, these uh, these arguments can be made in both directions. I've seen people argue that we are still expected to follow the law, while other people perhaps argue that we're not expected to follow the law. We have been freed from the law, and I can see how they come to certain conclusions. Uh, but I, I know I'm not the only one who has struggled in this, as you kind of look uh, does you know what ha what happens? You know when we do sin, if we are born again by the Spirit of God and we sin, does that mean that we lose the salvation that was purchased for us? <coughs> Excuse me. And and other times maybe the question comes into play. Uh, it's not necessarily a matter of losing it, but maybe uh, uh, you know has, is is God upset with me to where now He no longer wants to bless me? Uh, I can remember going through times in my life where I I I was praying for something specific and then I would wonder to myself. Uh, perhaps I'm not getting the answer to the prayer here that I'm expecting to get the answer of. Maybe that's because I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not going to church enough. I'm not doing enough in the church. 
and I would wrestle these things in my mind. But the problem is, when we have that type of a view in place, we forget who we are in Christ. If I am clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and when God looks at me, he no longer sees me, he sees his son, how can I gain a better standing than that? But whenever we approach that I have to do certain things for God to like me more, because here's what we think. We think, okay, I, I, preacher, I get it. I can't earn my salvation, but maybe he'll like me better if I live a certain way. Beloved, when God sees you, if you are born again by the Spirit of God, He sees you robed in Jesus Christ's righteousness. There is nothing more that can be seen. My goodness before salvation and my goodness after salvation does not gain me a better standing before God. Now, what we need to understand is what John's talking about here because it's very easy to see how improper doctrines can sneak in under the radar. Uh, my, my goal today is not to excuse behavior by pointing out our inability to perform perfectly, nor is my goal to point to the law and its requirements regardless of popular opinion. Uh, while both are in play, I believe that uh, for us to truly get uh, things right in this area, our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. When we see passages uh, telling us things like this, uh, 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 to be holy as God is holy and to try to adhere to perf the perfection of the law, and things of that nature, then we read passages about just living out um, by faith, just living by faith how Christ came to set us free. Where is the balance? Well, the balance is seen in the focus of Scripture. The balance is found not in your perfection nor in your freedom, but the focus of Scripture being on Jesus Christ. And if we can get this right, then we will understand whatever else is taking place in, in the passages that we have before us here. This is where we find the balance in Scripture. Now, you'll note that last week we noticed the blessing of being children of God. If you look at the beginning um, uh, of verse number 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. If you look at verse number 1 of chapter 3, it says, Beloved, or, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What an amazing, loving gift. The greatest gift that we could ever receive is God the Father, the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, to look at you or to look at me and say, that's my child. I mean, what, what greater accolade could we ever expect to receive than have the creator of the universe to see us as his children? Now, <clears throat> as we look at what's taking place here, and we note the incredible honor that it is to be one of God's children, and the amazing Heavenly Father that we have, the Apostle now moves from the positive to the negative. Now, here's what I mean by that. Uh, when you're reading through in the Greek, he takes positivity and negativity, in a sense, not as in this is a bad thing that you're getting ready to read, this was a good thing, so verses 1 through 3 were good, verses 4 through 8 are bad, that's not what's being said. 
what is being said in the positivity and the negativity is here's what we move toward and here's what we move away from. And so you think a little bit more in the positive and the negative in uh, positive and negative uh, uh, charged particles, and they they attract one another, they they repel one another, sort of like a magnet. You take the 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 one pole of the magnet and the other pole of the magnet, and they'll come together. The other two they push away from one another. And so this is the idea that is being said here. And so he moves from verses one through three, the positive. You are children of God, and then look at verse number three. Every man that hath this hope, talking about hoping in Jesus Christ, that's where my hope is placed. Uh, my hope is in his blood, his righteousness, nothing else. Those that have that hope purify himself as he is pure. And so this is the positive. If this is true of you, if your hope is in Jesus Christ, you're going to be moving toward purity. Now it goes to the negative. Here's what you won't do. He says in verse number 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Now, you're going to notice with this uh, not necessarily a, a, a list of do's and don'ts and the rules and regulations. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go out with girls that do. That's not what you're going to find in this. Some of you down here in Florida really don't get that, but hey, I found my wife in Kentucky. All right. Now, what he's pointing out here is not necessarily the idea. Now, come on, some of y'all are looking at me like you just sucked on a lemon. I'm from West Virginia. All right, I married up. I'm here to let you know I married up, folks. All right. Now, the the overarching idea here is not necessarily the rules of what you must do and must not do. He's pointing to an overarching practice of a child of God or a child of the devil. If you remember when Jesus uh, was talking and he referred to the Pharisees, he said, you are children of your father. Your father is the devil. He's the father of lies. He's been a liar from the beginning. And you're like, well, why in the world would he call them? Because they were trying to exchange for doctrine the commandments of men, right? They were saying, this is what we do. This is what you're supposed to do. You have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. God's not going to be happy with you unless you do it the way we do it. No, no, no. He says, don't, don't go down those roads. And so the balancing between the doing and practicing righteousness is seen. Uh, if you notice there in um, uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, look at verse 29. Uh, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. This idea that whoever is doing righteousness, being born of God, it's an evident thing. Now, this is not saying that you're going to be perfect all the time. Nowhere in the passage does it say this. It talks about what we do or the direction perhaps that we are pursuing might be another way of saying it. It's a practice type of an idea. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 4 now. It says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. The, the ones that have this hope, you can see the differing between uh, verse uh, 29 of chapter 2 and verse 4 of chapter 3. You can see the balance between the two, the one who pursues righteousness and the one uh, who pursues 
sin. This is what he's doing. And we want to kind of understand what's taking place with this. What does he mean by this uh, idea of, uh, uh, of whosoever committed sin transgresseth the law? For sin is the transgression of the law. The, the Greek that is being used in this uh, brings the idea of lawlessness. Not lawlessness as in absence from the law, but lawlessness in the idea of uh, going against uh, the law, ignoring the law. I don't care what the speed limit says. I'm going the speed I want to go. That's living lawless, right? Now, oh, it's quiet enough after that to hear a cotton ball drop. Somebody says, well, don't, don't touch speeding, Pastor. We're in Florida, right? That sign is a suggestion, right? I had somebody tell me, I was, I was like, he said, look, if you're going to drive down here, you got to go the, as fast as everybody else is going. And I said, well, well, what if I get pulled over? He says, cops got more going on than they need. They're not going to pull you over. And I'm, I'm not kidding. I, I've been flying down the, the 82, man, just booking it. And then here comes a fellow. We were startled the other day. I mean, I, my window was down, and all of a sudden, boom, you know. <laughs> we were going 70 or whatever it was. He had to have been doing 100. And he went right by a police officer, and I'm like, well, they really don't care, do they? <laughs> I just, I'm blowing away. But so, you know, like, don't use speeding as an example down here preaching. Okay, well, that's, that's fine. We'll move on. But the idea is lawlessness. The law is referenced to the whole counsel of God. He's not talking about one specific rule, one specific commandment, or anything along those lines. He's not even referring to uh, uh, the Mosaic law. He's not referring to the Ten Commandments as a whole. What he's referring to is the direction and will of Almighty God. So when we're referring to lawlessness here, we don't want to go back because people will do this. Well, Pastor, I thought we were free from the law. We're not free from the will of God. Before the law was ever introduced, Adam and Eve broke it. Okay? Cain broke the law. And Moses hadn't even been thought of by his parents at that stage of the game. And so what we need to understand is there's a law that, is, that goes far beyond the, the, Pharise the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the Mosaic covenants, the Levitical laws. Uh, it goes far beyond that. The law of God is basically, thou shalt, thou shalt not, or he said it this way, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, that's an interesting thing, because I don't know about you, but I am not perfect. Now, some of you all might be more perfect. I don't know. Praise God for you. But I'm not. And, and, and people, you know, they, they, they come up with all these ideas. Well, I'm never going to be perfect, preacher, so, so I'm just, there's no sense in even trying. Stop what you're doing. Just knock it off. Essentially, sin is described as complete rebellion to the will of God. Now, when we know something is expected of God, yet we ignore it, or we rebel against it, we say that we don't want to do it. Now, this could be something as significant as murder, or that little white lie. Or, well, you know, pastor, I don't steal. I'm not a thief. 
Anybody carrying around a bank pen that wasn't given to you? Now listen, we got pens from the church here, and I'm letting you know you will not be stealing if you take one of those pens home. It's okay, we get those so that you all can have a gift. Now, those of you who grab a handful of them, <laughs> uh, it's like, you're a thief. <laughs> now, but we, we've all got something, we've all taken something that didn't belong to us, right? We've all done that at some stage of the game. And we're like, well, pastor, it was just a stack of post-it notes from work. Unless that boss handed it to you as your Christmas bonus, it's theft. Now, y'all can think what you want of me. Y'all might be more perfect than me. That's okay. But when I was not living right, I was a waiter for a while. And we were expected to turn in all of our tips. Cash money? Now, 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 yes, that example. Yes. And so... I would. I had my apron, and I, mean, I I enjoyed waiting tables. I liked it. I had a lot of fun, and I made some good money waiting tables. And I had my apron, and I would go through at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get many good tips today. <laughs> you know, so yeah, at the end of the night, you let them know how many tips you made because you're supposed to claim those things on your taxes. Uncle Sam got to get his part too, right? Render unto Caesar, amen? We're going to have the gladiators next. But <clears throat> I, I, would, I would only report so much so that I didn't have to pay taxes. That was wrong. That was wrong. And the IRS is probably listening to this sermon and the only sermon I've ever preached in my life and I'm going to get audited next year. But at the end of the day, the child of God is to be one who lives in observance of the will of God. So what is the will of God? Well, if you were to turn your Bibles, and you're, that's going to be kind of hard without tearing up the pages, but if you would flip over in your Bibles to the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. All the T's are together. Right about the middle of the New Testament. Chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Look what it says. Look at, look at verse number 3. For this is the will of God. If you mark in your Bible, you might want to mark that. You ever wonder, well, what's God's will for my life? You're about to hear it. Okay? I'm going to solve it for you. This is the will of God even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as uh, we, have, uh, we also have forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Is to, to uh, become more and more sanctified and more and more holy every day. Now people are like, well, wait a minute, preacher. I'm not perfect. I didn't say that. I said moving toward holiness. That's God's will for your life. 
your sanctification. Well, what else maybe? How about uh, Romans chapter 8? Go back to Romans chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. <clears throat> Romans 8, 28 is the, the most famous verse in that chapter. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. But look at verse 29 for me. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate, here it is, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. If you want to know what God's will for your life is, we can go through a lot of Scripture today. We're not going to do that for sake of time. But what we, what we could do is just, let's just take these two right here. God's will for your life is sanctification and revealing the very image of Jesus Christ. That's God's will for your life. We can go a whole lot further into depth, but I, I think we've got the rest of our life covered in just figuring those two out. I had somebody uh, ask me one time about, uh, says, when are you going to preach through Revelation? Everybody wants to preach through Revelation, don't they? Everybody's like, let's go through Revelation. Everybody wants to study Revelation. Says, when are you going to preach through Revelation? I said, when we get loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves, right? I had one person actually challenged me one time. Says, "Well, it, it says in Revelation, blessed are those who read, and blessed are those." That. I said, "Okay, show up this Sunday, and I'll read the Book of Revelation in its entirety, and we'll be done with it." Let's get ourselves where we need to focus for just a moment. We will seek purification as children of God. It will be something that we desire. Verse 3 of 1 John chapter 3 again. It says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself as even as he is pure. We will seek purification. We will seek to be pleasing to God. We will seek after holiness. We will not desire to live a life of sin. Look at verse 5 with me now. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no Sin. John presents two reasons to abstain from sin, not to excuse it. He gives us two basic reasons in the passage before us, in the verse before us, actually. Those who have their hope in Jesus know that He has come to rid us of sin. We read that just a little bit ago. We even sang about it when we were singing, Amazing Grace, my chains are gone. What are those chains? Chains to sin chains to self, serving me. I am no longer the God of my life. This world is no longer the God of my life. It's about Him. Those chains are broken. But we shackle ourselves time and time again. Well, Pastor, I can't do it. I'm not going to be perfect. God doesn't expect me to work on those things. Don't tell me what I need to change. Don't tell me what I need to fix. Don't worry about any of that stuff. And we go back and we grab those chains of sin and we slap them back on our wrists as if to say, your blood wasn't enough. That's what we're doing. But the one who is born again by the Spirit of God will desire with all of their heart to say, I'm done with that lifestyle. Not to keep saying, well, I guess I'm just stuck in it. Oh, wretched man that I am, right? No, 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 no. 
Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, but then he followed it up this way. Who will deliver me? He was looking for deliverance. He wasn't looking to stay that wretched man. Too often, people see Jesus simply as the one who took on our sins. But He goes much further than that. He didn't simply bear our sins in His own body. He came to rid us and take away our sins. You know, we speak about it this way. Salvation. He came and He died for your sins. Past, present, and future. He came to free you from it. Look again at verse 5. You know that He was manifested to take away our sins. And we go, well, yeah, that's right. He's, he's taken away my penalty. It doesn't say that. It says He came to take away your sin. Yes, He took the penalty for your sin. That's why He went to the cross. He paid for your sin. But He also came to take it away. Gone. Well, Pastor, I still struggle with it. That's because we forget about it. He came to make you new. His desire is not only to save you from hell, but to save you from the bondage of sin in your life today. You can experience that eternal uh, relationship with the divine now. But the second reason He gave, He says, look in verse 5, He says, you know that He was manifested to take away our sins. That's the first reason. But the second reason is in Him is no sin. In Him is no sin. 1 John 1, 5 says, In Him is no darkness at all. If we are to abide in Jesus, and if you remember from back in chapter number 2, it talked about our abiding in Him. We went over that several weeks ago. But if we abide in Him, guess what? Abiding in the one who has no sin means that we don't want to be around our sin either. We don't want that. We shun that. We, we do the best that we can to move away from that. Now, Jesus coming to make us new, He lets us know the two reasons here in verse number 5. He came to rid us from the sin. Then we need to understand also that abiding in Him, He says in verse 5, and in Him is no sin. So to abide in Him means that living in, in sin is incompatible with Christ's work of redemption. It's not compatible. But let's go a little bit further with this because if we're not careful, we're going to look at this and we're just going to see legalism. We need to get the explanation out. Uh, look at verse number 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. This is a pretty heavy one. Because we look at this and we go, oh, wait a minute. So you're saying whoever is abiding in Jesus won't sin. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what the passage says. Well, Pastor, I, I know beyond a, shadow of my, uh, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know I am born again by the Spirit of God, but I still sin. I didn't say whoever was born again by the Spirit of God won't sin. It says whoever abides in Him won't sin. 
me put it this way. When I am unloving as a husband, and the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. When I am unloving, you know why? It's because I stopped abiding in Him. Wives, when you're disrespectful to your husband, even though the Word of God says, wives, see that you reverence your husband, doesn't say if they deserve it. Doesn't say wives love you, or wives reverence your husband if they deserve your respect. It doesn't say husbands love your wives if they're lovable. It says do it. Period. End of statement. When I don't, it's because I've stopped abiding in Him. When I'm rebellious, when I'm lustful, when I'm impatient, it's when I stop abiding in Christ. That's why Jesus says, "Abide in Me." This is not saying Christians will be perfect. What it is saying is that sinning is an indication that I'm not abiding. Catch that? It's not saying sinning is an indication of losing your salvation. It's saying sinning is an indication that you're not abiding in Him. Now, let's continue to move on here. The next part, if you sin, you have not known Him... Uh, there are many who would say that this means that you lose your salvation. No, you need to see that this is speaking in the past tense. This is not in keeping with, uh, to say that you, when you sin, you lose your salvation, does not keep with the rest of Scripture. It doesn't even keep with English grammar or Greek grammar. All right? Because it doesn't say that. It says, uh, whosoever uh, uh, abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. And so, just as uh, chapter 2, verse 19, if you go back there, it taught about those who left were never actually members. They went out from us, proving that they were not of us. So they're leaving the faith is evidence that they never actually had the faith to begin with. With uh, The term that is used here is the, is the word hamartino. It's from hamartia, which is sin, but it is the future, in the future tense, meaning that the one who sins continually stays in that sin, has no desire to change their pattern, doesn't care, just is happy to just move on, and that's just the way I am. You're going to have to learn to deal with it. That person is in danger not of losing their salvation, but in danger of never actually having had it to begin with. That's dangerous ground. And we need to face these things. Uh, the word, uh, we see it uh, oftentimes translated in different ways. The word is uh, translated as doing. It can be translated as practicing. It's the word, the, the one that I'm talking about, the sin of the one who sins. It's a habitual, constant thing that they keep going back to. It is actually the term that is used in practice as in an archer practicing his archery. You know, if I want to be a, a, a professional athlete or if I want to be a professional music, a musician, what's the old uh, adage, what's the old saying? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? A couple of you. Wake up your neighbor. Let's try it again. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. What are you practicing? That's the question that's being asked. Because it's the same word that is used when uh, talking about righteousness. Look at verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, uh, even as he is righteous. 
And so this is what he's talking about here. And this is not, again, not teaching that you're going to lose it. It's asking you to examine your heart and your life, not to examine the other people around. Well, I wonder if this person is righteous. I wonder if that person is actually saved. That's not what's being taught. He's saying you examine your heart and your life to find out for sure, are you born again by the Spirit of God? You know, the scary thing that's found in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 23, Jesus says, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, Depart from me. I never knew you. You know, he doesn't say, I used to know you. He says, I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you once upon a time and then you messed up and you lost it. He says, I never knew you. Now, here's the crazy thing. Then they followed up by saying, well, didn't we prophesy or preach in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful works? Didn't we uh, do great service for you? And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Lawlessness. These were preachers. Teachers. People that everybody around them looked at and saw, that's a man of God. That's a woman of God. And he says, I never knew you. That's sketchy. That's dangerous ground. We need to take it seriously. But it's apparent that the apostle wants us to make sure, uh, just as he wanted his spiritual children to make sure that they were not ignoring their sin. You know, doctors, <laughs> I learned this more and more and more. You know, doctors um, practice medicine. Not a one of them have mastered medicine. You ever notice that? And you, you go to 15 different doctors, you're going to get 15 different answers, right? And they'll tell you the same thing. They'll let you know unequivocally, look, I don't have this all figured out, um, but here's my recommendation. Here's what I would probably do. Uh, probably. Actually, you don't want to hear that from a doctor. Here's what I'd probably do. Now, Doc, if this was you, what would you be doing right now? Look at verse 8 with me, and let's get ready to close this up. He that committeth sin, ooh, is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You notice what's being said there? Whoever practices lawlessness is not practicing righteousness. And this is the heartbeat of the passage. Which direction are you pursuing? When I read a verse like verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Uh, the first thing that goes through my mind is one of two things. And it probably is one of the two things that maybe goes through your mind. First, well, who do they think they are to tell me that I might be doing something wrong? The other would be this. Oh, Lord, let that not be true of me. The first response is the person who practices sin and doesn't want to confront it. 
The second response is the person who is pursuing righteousness and wants to know what he's doing is wrong. And so when the Word of God puts something before us, lets us know that we are not living right, how's our response to it? How are we responding to Christ? Now, one last thing here and we'll be done. Whoever makes this practice of sin is proving that he is in opposition to Christ. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Now, let's make it personal. Anytime the Word of God is open, we need to look at it and ask ourselves, am I guilty of this? Does this apply to me? Anytime the Word of God is open, we need to see what it's saying and then what it is saying to me personally. So we need to make it personal. First off, you need to ask yourself if you have been deceived or perhaps even deceiving yourself and you've been ignoring sin in your life. Here's how you figure that out. What direction are you moving? Are you moving toward righteousness or toward lawlessness. That's as simple as I can make it. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wanted to make it known to us. The best way to test yourself, to find out if you are born again by the Spirit of God, is the direction that you're moving. What direction are you moving this morning? Second, are you certain of your relationship to God? Notice, it's not a matter of being perfect. Does God expect you to be perfect? No. He expects you to move in the direction of righteousness. He expects you to pursue holiness. He expects us to be more like His Son. If He has made us Free. We are to be free indeed. Catch that. Catch that. Are you certain of your relationship with God? Beloved, if you are able to live a life of sin and it not bother you, you need to examine whether you are actually born again by the Spirit of God. So are you certain of your relationship this morning? Well, who do you think you are, Pastor, to make me question my salvation? I'm nobody but a shepherd who loves the sheep enough to put the Word of God before them. And I want to know that when I face my God and I hold a, an accountability to Him, when I face Him, Nobody is going to be able to say he kept back the truth. I'm not, try, I'm not doubting your salvation. I don't, I, that's not for me to do. But it is for you to examine your own salvation. Daily, through fear and trembling. That's the Word of God. 
So as a whole, how does this look as a church? The one who practices righteousness welcomes the correction. The one practicing lawlessness wants to hide and not be confronted. Listen, this is not about being the sin police either. Again, we're not going around checking everybody else's sin record. We're examining our own heart. We're examining our hearts. Get it right. This is about being right with the Lord. Salvation is not about, do you want to go to heaven or hell? That's not salvation. That's, that's a, a place. Salvation is about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Being able to be united with God. Never forget that we as a church are to be building the body of Christ, not our own little following. And so what kind of body are we making? Now, I think we ought to examine ourselves and examine our impact. The one who perhaps is hurting, the one who perhaps is broken, you know where you can find healing? Jesus. The one who is overwhelmed by their sin, trapped in the shackles, you know where you can find freedom? Jesus. The one who is looking for, for the, their problems to be just fixed so that they can continue to live their life however they want, you know where you can find that? You've already found it in yourself. We can deal with that kind of stuff on our own. But if you want true freedom, true freedom from sin, True deliverance, true healing, true help is found in the person of Jesus Christ. There and there alone. Father, we present ourselves to you knowing, Lord, that we are flawed at best. Father, we, we can't be perfect but Lord, we do know that You are. And that if we simply abide in You, and that we would abide in Your Son and in Your Word, we can find that the chains are loosed. And that we no longer need to, uh, to live as sinners. Father, if there be any here today that do not know You as Savior, I pray that this morning would be the day, the very moment that they give their life over to you. And Father, we'll be careful to praise you for that. If there's any here today that perhaps they're wrapped in the rags of religion, I pray, Lord, that you would watch over that heart as well. Draw them close to you. Give them what they need to see that they need to know you as Savior. Father, for the one who just needs encouragement. Yes, you're moving the right direction. Yes, you are my child. Here's the evidence. You're working to be more and more like me. I just pray, Lord, that you would watch over that as well. Draw them ever closer to you.